You're going to love this. Just love it. You might. You really, really might. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, People Powered Radio, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM in Columbus and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And yes, coast to coast and around the globe, streaming online on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn. GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, five days a week, blanketing planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us. Yes, this is another one of those insanely busy news days. We've we've had a lot of them lately. We've got a number of major decisions handed down today by the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, I should note, most notably concerning abortion rights, but also on gun safety legislation, on uh, bribery of public officials, and more. Also, as time allows, the the fallout and the freakout concerning Britain's EU referendum last week, the so-called Brexit. That freakout continues, and we've got some new polling in the presidential race here in the U.S., if we can get to it all. But first, since uh, since these stories related to the deadliness, frankly, of climate change that we, if not the bulk of the media, continue to warn about, uh, are largely getting buried with all of the other major stories in both the U.S. and worldwide, I want to make sure that we get this. I want to make sure, once again, we put this right up front. Climate, uh, hi, Desi Doyen. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking to you. Climate, hi, Desi Doyen. Yeah. yeah there's one well, into the other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I see you. I think climate. I think, man, it's hot. Yes. Um, it, we've got uh, a couple of stories here in the U.S. on just how bad this is, both on the East Coast and on the West Coast. We've been covering what's been going on in West Virginia, but we have some updates there. Let me hit that first. Uh, two men presumed dead in West Virginia's horrible, horrible flooding have now been found alive. 
There's some good news to start out that, this story. And that's about the only good news in this story. Indeed it is. Uh, the uh, death toll has now been decreased from 25, where it had been over the weekend, now to just 23. Uh, according to authorities, the state's Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Management in West Virginia confirmed that the two men thought to have been swept away in a camper were indeed found alive. National Guard teams removed debris Monday uh, in these uh, affected areas of West Virginia, which is much of the state. And the state is now preparing for another round of storms headed their way. A flash flood warning remains in effect. This is until uh, 6 p.m. on Monday for a number of counties. The rest of the state is still under a flash flood watch. The National Weather Service warned residents of the flood dangers in an alert issued Monday morning. With an exclamation point, move to higher ground now, says the warning. Act quickly to protect your life. Do not wait for water levels to begin to rise. They will rise very quickly, the Weather Service wrote. Uh, and indeed, uh, these, these, this flooding has been terrible. Uh, Sunday was the first day that people could start applying for Federal Emergency Management Agency aid. That's FEMA aid in, uh, in Greenbrier, Kanawha and Nicholas counties. President Obama signed a disaster, federal disaster declaration on Saturday, allowing residents in those three counties to get aid for temporary housing and home repairs and so forth. Uh, on Saturday, FEMA officials were in the state. They were beginning to assess the damage to infrastructure, homes, and other properties. 15 of the 16 deaths in Greenbrier County struck in just one town, the tiny town of Raynell, where the mayor uh, wept openly as she surveyed her town over the weekend. About six buses full of people there whose homes were either without power or too damaged to uh, to inhabit were uh, evacuated. Some of those people were taken initially to a fire department facility, but when it flooded, they were moved to an abandoned store. When that store started to flood, according to Time magazine, buses then had to take the evacuees to a church that was 40 miles away. They had to be moved like four different times. Search and rescue teams uh, were going house to house, marking those that they had checked with a spray-painted X which is what they do after a hurricane strikes, uh, which is what this reminded me of. What was the, the water? Uh, the, the, it, was, it was something like 9 to 12 inches of rain in 24 hours or so. It insane. Was, yeah, it was an, a 1,000-year a, a rain event, according to the National Weather Service, which, of course, means it doesn't happen once every 1,000 years. It means the odds of it happening are 1 in a 1,000 years. However, we are having, as you have noted many times, more and more of these 1,000-year rain events uh, occurring much more frequently due to climate change. And so we're going to have to change those odds when they call them one in a I thousand. Know. I mean, this is getting down to one every couple of years, frankly. Uh, the stories were harrowing of the uh, of the rescues in uh, in West Virginia. Uh, AP, I want to hit a couple of these because they're just amazing uh, from AP. All Carol Dunford has left is a dirty nightgown caked in mud from the floodwaters that ravaged her West Virginia town and killed at least 23 people. She lost the trailer where she lived for 30 years. She lost her wheelchair, her medicine, and her best friend, a chihuahua named Frankie. As the deluge swamped southeast West Virginia on Thursday evening, Dunford, who is 71 years old, she sat immobile in her wheelchair in her living room as the pitch black flood water rose past her ankles to her knees up to the armrests. 
She talked to her daughter uh, on the phone. She said it was silent but for the roar of the water. Dunford, an Air Force veteran of the Vietnam War, screamed and screamed but feared no one would come to save her. Hundreds of others were stranded as well. Teams across the state rescued people from second-story windows, the hoods of cars, the tops of trees. They saved Dunford from her flooded trailer in the middle of the night just as the water started licking her shoulders. Uh, she was in a wheelchair. She, she couldn't get out. More than 100 homes were destroyed, some torn from their foundations and carried away. Uh, families were left with nothing but the clothes on their back. This was so violent, uh, said P Wayne Pennington, the fire chief in Lewisburg at the, in the seat of Greenbri Greenbrier County. He said it moved structures, swept cars away, destroyed trees, guardrails, churned up the earth, exposed water lines and broke them. Uh, a $2.6 million water filtration system was destroyed. He said it was destruction on a scale that I've never seen. There was one case where a 97-year-old woman was standing inside her front door with water rushing up over her porch. She said, I thought I was all alone, uh, Pennington recalled. And one of the team members said, well, honey, you're not alone no more. And onto his back, uh, he put her and grabbed her walker and away they went. Um, they were pulling out people with uh, uh, bucket with uh, 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 back backloaders, backhoes, whatever those are called, heavy construction equipment. They were putting people in the bucket and pulling them away. They rescued about 60 people that way. A 91 year old woman took a ride in his bucket. They rescued a family of five with a child in diapers. Um, the, go the governor there has declared a state of emergency in 44 of 54 counties and authorized up to 500 soldiers to assist uh, along with FEMA, uh, w which has now been uh, sent to assist as well. Uh, something to keep in mind when all of those Republicans keep telling us how much they hate FEMA until they actually need FEMA. And also to note that the PGA Tour has canceled its event at the Greenbrier yep. Resort, the historic golf club, which was turned into a raging river, the entire golf course. And a, a note of uh, that, that I think is important here. The owner of the Greenbrier Resort is Jim Justice. He's a billionaire coal baron. Mm. He also happens to be a climate science denier and the Democratic Party's nominee for the gubernatorial race in November. So he's a Democratic climate science denier running for governor in West Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where they have a, a, a Democratic uh, governor now. But I think he, too, is a climate denier. If uh, I, yeah, if he's, I he's, not, he's not a big fan of it simply because the coal industry has a huge grip, a huge yep. death grip on the state of West Virginia, uh, all for all three branches of government. One other thing to consider about these West Virginia floods, the aftermath. Um, it's destroyed infrastructure, as mentioned. It flooded sewage systems. It also means that there will be tons of standing water around. And with mosquitoes and the Zika virus problem with mosquitoes mm. in the United States spreading throughout the lower southeast, this could also be an issue in this summer as uh, as they try to recover from this, this horrific uh, historic event. I think death grip is is the right word uh, that, that coal has on West Virginia. It is a death grip. And uh, Greenbrier, uh, actually, I talked to my parents over the weekend, they reminded me that last year at almost this exact same time, I think it was last year, uh, where they had this PGA event that has now been canceled this year, uh, the, the, the bleachers there, the grandstand at the 18th hole collapsed because they had similar flooding last year. It collapsed. Uh, thankfully, 
just after the tournament had ended, just days later. You could have had a, an extraordinary tragedy with you know hundreds of people on these uh, grandstands uh, collapsing. So that's kind of the new normal that we're facing uh, around the country, at least in West Virginia. But it's not only in West Virginia, out here in uh, in California. We're also uh, paying the cost of climate change and uh, families and indeed uh, an elderly couple uh, paid the ultimate price uh, over the past few days as these fires continue to rage. And Des, this is something you've been warning about. You've been warning about this all year with it just being bone dry out here in California with this epic five year flood uh, uh, drought we're still in the middle of it's a tinderbox oh yeah and now these fires boom are popping up all over the place what's the latest you have on that right um now? well here in Southern California there was a huge fire outside of uh, Bakersfield in a town called Lake Isabella which is about uh, 150 miles north of Los Angeles beautiful town it was a beaut- it's a beautiful town most uh, much of it is gone um, because of the uh, the, the fire that erupted on Friday that expanded and exploded yep. pretty much across the region. It's almost 60 square miles now have been scorched in this fire. More than 200 structures have been burned. And, of course, you mentioned also the two people that were killed as they tried to escape, but they, they did not make it, an elderly couple trying to escape. And uh, Governor Jerry Brown has issued a state of emergency uh, for the area. It's in Kern County. And, um, you know, they're fighting this fire. There is more heat on the way. Uh, weather has improved somewhat um, on Monday to uh, help firefighters to fight the fire but it, it, it doesn't look good uh yeah because the uh, temperature is going back up right now they're forecast to be anywhere from 5 to 15 degrees above normal with humidity expected to drop to next to nothing uh so thousands of people now uh, at least 2500 homes remain threatened by these fires uh reportedly entire blocks have been reduced to rubble uh, and yeah, in an unrecognizable uh, uh, mobile home, firefighters found what appeared to be a set of human remains, but they were so badly burned, forensic investigators had to determine whether in fact they belonged to a person or an animal. And indeed, they, they belong to people. So uh, we continue to pay the price, uh, and it's, it's amazing how few uh, media outlets out there are connecting the dots to climate change, to what we've been warning about. So I wanted to do that first. I I continue to want to do that first whenever we can because nobody else does. At best, they'll report the fires. They'll report the flooding, but they won't uh, they won't report what what caused it so that we can do something about and try to avoid it. Anyway, all right, on to the Supreme Court. We had uh, a number of rulings that were handed down today, big ones. Uh, most uh, importantly, I guess, is this uh, is this abortion ruling. Women's groups on Monday applauded the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling against a Texas anti-abortion law. Pro-choice group NARAL called it a great day for women. They said the Supreme Court has powerfully reaffirmed a woman's constitutional right to make her own decisions about her family, uh, her health, family and future, no matter her zip code. That, according to NARAL president Elise Hogue, in a statement, she said the Supreme Court justices apparently saw what we already knew, that the Texas law under review and that those like it are never about protecting women. They're about trying to ban abortion and undermining a woman's dignity and ability to determine her own future. 
The statement went on to say, from NARAL, the Supreme Court rightfully rejected this assault on our constitutional rights and said with a clear voice that attacks on access to safe and legal abortion care, even deceptive attacks like the Texas law, will not stand. This decision will help to stem the public health crisis in Texas by allowing the remaining clinics in Texas to keep their doors open, and it paves the way for new clinics to open and meet the needs of the millions of women in underserved areas of Texas. Okay, what this case was about, this case was Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstadt, And in the case, the Supreme Court has struck down the Texas state provisions that were mandating that abortion clinics have admitting privileges to nearby hospitals and meet the same standards as surgical centers. Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstat. It concerns a law uh, called HB2 that Texas passed. There was a law which combined expensive architectural and other requirements for clinics with difficult to obtain credentialing requirements for abortion providers. Had the law been upheld, at least 32 of the 40 abortion clinics that existed in Texas prior to this law, 32 of 40 of them were expected to shut down. Many of them already have due to this law. Um, this is what uh, how Ian Milheiser, we've had him on the show many times, constitutional expert, he explained the case uh, very well today. In essence, he says, Whole Women's Health asks whether a state may enact that, uh, laws that restrict access to abortion with little meaningful benefit for women's health, so long as the laws are dressed up to resemble a health regulation. One provision of the law, for example requires abortion clinics to comply with a long list of, quote, electrical, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, plumbing, and other physical plant requirements, as well as staffing mandates, space utilization, minimum square footage, and parking design. These are requirements that are typically imposed upon ambulatory surgical centers in the state of Texas, yet the requirements apply even in clinics that perform no surgery, Many clinics in the state of Texas only offer medication abortions, medical abortions, which are induced by uh, taking a pill orally. So uh, similarly, the law's requirement uh, that abortion providers obtain admitting privileges in a nearby hospital bears little resemblance, little relationship to positive health outcomes. As Texas Hospital Association explains, Thousands of physicians operate clinics and provide services in those clinics, but do not have hospital admitting privileges. When a patient arrives at at an emergency room, whether due to complications from an abortion or any other cause, hospitals treat the patient regardless of whether the patient previously received care from a doctor with admitting privileges at that particular hospital. So in this case, a huge victory for women, a huge victory for the constitutional right to choose whether or not you wish to have an abortion. In this case, Justice Anthony Kennedy, uh, who usually votes with the uh, with the right wing. He's a conservative and he has uh, for years. He's uh, mostly been a reliable vote against abortion. He crossed over to vote with the court's more liberal bloc. Uh, Prior to uh, this uh, HB2 case, Kennedy had only voted one time to block a restriction on abortion. In the meantime, Justice Stephen Breyer's majority opinion here 
as uh, Milheiser describes, piles facts upon evidence upon statistics to demolish Texas's supposed justification for the law. At one point, Breyer even damns the law with words uttered by Texas's own attorney. By the end of the opinion, it is surprising that Breyer did not finish with the two words, Hulk smash, <laughs> oh, man. says Milheiser. Now, this is, and I'll, I'll let me get into some of these details here, but the reason this is so important is, is not just because of the Texas law, but because these types of laws are being passed all over the country by right wingers, uh, you know, pretending that this is about women's health when it's not. It's about taking away the legal right to an abortion. So uh, Milheiser notes that this case now and this decision, Breyer's decision here, uh, his, Breyer's opinion, leaves the right to an abortion on much stronger footing than it stood before the decision was handed down. He writes, it's difficult to exaggerate just how awesomely anti-abortion advocates erred in urging Texas to pass HB2 in the first place. Uh, the uh, HB2 and the strategy used to defend it took advantage of an apparent contradiction in the court's abortion jurisprudence. Roe v. Wade itself had held that the state has a legitimate interest in seeing to it that abortion, like any other medical procedure, is por performed under circumstances that ensure maximum safety for the patient. Now, of course, that or argument came up uh, in the context of Roe v. Wade because making abortion legal uh, would, in fact, make it more safe than it had been uh, prior to the Roe v. Wade case. Uh, but uh, right wingers have now seized on this idea of of uh, the government having the allowance to make sure that the procedure is safe to pretend it's not safe, and so we need to add all of these unnecessary uh, uh, conditions. conditions to it. Yeah. More recently, in 2007's Gonzalez versus Carhartt, a 5-4 court held that lawmakers enjoy wide discretion to pass legislation in areas where there is medical and scientific uncertainty. So basically, they were saying, well, we don't know. This could be made more safe. Therefore, we're allowed to do this. Well, Breyer uh, felt uh, Justice Breyer felt otherwise. Uh, quoting from the court's 92 opinion in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, Breyer writes that unnecessary health regulations that have the purpose or effect of presenting a substantial obstacle to a woman seeking an abortion impose an undue burden on that right and are therefore unconstitutional. In response to a federal appeals court, which brought the argument that medical uncertainty underlying a statute is for resolution by the legislatures, not the courts. In other words, they're saying, yes, it may be uncertain whether this has any medical benefit, but that's up to the legislature to decide. That's how the appellate court had decided. And in fact, had this case come out not as a uh, what was it, a, a, four, a, a five to three uh, decision, had it been four to four, then that. Appellate court in Texas, the, one of the most conservative in the nation, their ruling upholding this uh, Texas law, that would have stood. So the, the Supreme Court struck this law down, struck it down big time. And this is going to have effects around the country to other similar laws. Um, 
They're, uh, let's see, having determined that uh, unnecessary health regulations designed to erect significant barriers before women seeking abortions are not allowed, Breyer then begins the Hulk smash portion of his opinion, dismantling the case comprehensively that HB2 is anything other than an undue burden on the right to abortion. With a barrage of facts and citations for the record, the two provisions before the court require abortion providers to obtain admitting privileges in a nearby hospital, require clinics to comply with expensive regulations normally imposed on surgical centers. And uh, here's how the uh, Breyer took this on. The first provision, Breyer explains, uh, required half of Texas's 40 abortion clinics to close. The second would reduce the number of open clinics down to seven or eight and uh, would drain what life remains in the Roe v. Wade case. Instead, reproductive freedom is now stronger today than it has been at any point in nearly a decade, thanks to this decision by Breyer, who notes On the admitting privileges uh, portion, uh, the trial court determined in this case that the great weight of evidence demonstrates that before the act's passage, abortion in Texas was extremely safe, with particularly low rates of complications and virtually no deaths occurring on account of the procedure. Therefore, there was no significant health-related problem that the new law helped to cure. And indeed, when the Texas Solicitor General And I'm pointing this out not only because of the abortion case, but because of the broader implications Hang on, you'll get to that. I'm getting to that. The Texas Solicitor General uh, was asked uh, directly at the oral argument whether Texas knew of a single instance in which the new requirement would have helped even one woman obtain better treatment, and Texas had to admit that there was no evidence in the record of such a case. One one reason why the admitting privileges uh, requirement imposes such a heavy burden on abortion providers, this is the admitting privileges that the doctors must have now at these clinics under the HB2 law until it was struck down. Uh, One of the reasons it's so difficult to get admitting privileges at nearby hospitals is that many hospitals require doctors to actually admit a certain number of patients each year in order to maintain those privileges. But abortion doctors rarely uh, admit anyone anyone to the hospital. One clinic, for example, during the trial performed over 17,000 abortions over a decade, they said, and not a single one of those patients had to be transferred to a hospital for emergency treatment, much less admitted to a hospital. Thus, Breyer writes, doctors would be unable to maintain admitting privileges or obtain those privileges for the future because the fact that abortions are so safe, uh, that meant that providers were unlikely to have any patients to admit. So, uh, meanwhile, the law imposes much stricter requirements on abortion clinics than it imposes on other facilities that perform far more dangerous procedures. For example... Uh, the uh, nationwide uh, childbirth is 14 times more likely than abortion to result in death. But Texas law allows a midwife to oversee childbirth in the patient's own home. Colonoscopies, a procedure which typically takes place outside a hospital or a surgical center setting, has a mortality rate 10 times higher than an abortion. Medical treatment after an incomplete miscarriage often involves a procedure identical to that in a non-medical abortion, but it often takes place outside a hospital or a surgical center. So that comes from, uh, that's uh, Breyer writing about this. And um, 
just absolutely devastating. Now, these laws have been put forward by a group by the name of Americans United for Life, which Mil Milheiser describes as a legislation mill. They basically draft anti-abortion bills to uh, be enacted by sympathetic lawmakers, model legislation to, that the, the state lawmakers can then pick up, fill in the blanks and propose in their own uh, in their own state. The group actually brags that its goal is to overrule Roe v. Wade, quote, through deliberate legal strategies that ac accumulate victories, build momentum and restore a culture of life. Well, apparently not anymore after this decision. Uh, these laws, which are known as uh, targeted regulation of abortion providers, they're trap laws. Uh, this is meant to restrict the right to an abortion. Period. It is not made, meant to make them safer. There is no evidence that is uh, that it's meant to make them safer. Of course, uh, Barack Obama uh, lauded the ruling by the court. Hillary Clinton, the presumptive uh, Democratic nominee, said SCOTUS's decision is a victory for women in Texas and across America. Safe abortion should be a right, not just on paper, but in reality. While the Texas Attorney General. Uh, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, the Republican there who's been defending this law, uh, on Monday he lamented the Supreme Court's decision ruling against the anti-abortion law. He said HB2 was an effort to improve minimum safety standards and ensure capable care for Texas women. It's exceedingly unfortunate that the court has taken the ability to protect women's health out of the hands of Texas citizens and their duly elected representatives. They have no control over it now, none whatsoever. Now, mind you, that's Ken Paxton, who is currently under indictment. The Texas Attorney General is under indictment for securities fraud, and he's making uh, the legal case for this law, which is basically putting the government between you and your doctor. The exact thing that Republicans pretend to this day, pretend to be against when it comes to uh, the Affordable Care Act, when it comes to Obamacare. The government should not become come between you and your doctor. And here they were putting the government smack dab in the middle of you and your doctor. Now, um, the other thing that uh, comes to my mind on this is, uh, you know, Texas, we've talked about this a lot. Texas is law uh, and other states as well, other right wing uh, Republican controlled states that have put in place these photo ID voting restrictions. Now, they those restrictions like this abortion restriction do nothing but prevent the right to vote. There is no need for them. The governments, including Texas, have not been able to show any need for them. They have not been able to show any cases of fraud that would actually be deterred by these laws. So in these cases where you're talking about taking rights, no, no rights are absolute. I don't care if it's First Amendment, Second Amendment, no rights are absolute. But when they take away uh, a right like that, a constitutional right, the government has to show that there is a, a a compelling governmental interest in doing so and that B, the way they are doing so does not uh, present an undue burden on the person or, or people who are losing their right to vote. And in this case, in the abortion case, it was an undue burden because in, in Texas they were shutting down the uh, Yeah, they went uh, from the 40 clinics, abortion clinics down to eight or seven. Which means in a, a state the size of Texas, as you know, Desi, being from Texas, uh, that meant that uh, people would have to drive hours and hours and hours just to get this medically safe, constitutionally protected procedure. 
That is the very definition of an undue burden. And we see the same thing uh, when it comes to these photo ID laws and taking away the right uh, for people to vote because of this compelling governmental interest, even if they make the argument, as you can with abortion, well, the government has a, uh, an interest in making sure that uh, you know medical procedures are safe. They also have a compelling governmental interest in, in assuring that elections are not fraudulent, that there's not election fraud or, in this case, voter fraud, as they like to argue. So they, they have the right to, to make that case, but they have to show that there is not an undue burden in the process. But in the abortion case, there certainly was. And in the case of all of these cases, and so far, this is what has been found in the Texas case when it comes to photo ID, that it does present an undue burden that, uh, you know, the evidence was given that in some places voters would have to drive a three hour round trip, like 150 miles in order to receive one of these so-called free voter ID uh, cards so that they could vote. These are these are voters, by the way, who don't have a driver's license, which is allowed uh, for voting. But if they don't have a driver's license in some places in Texas, they're going to have to drive three hours. And remember, they don't have a driver's license to do it. And they also have to come up with the money for, uh, you know, for for a birth certificate or, or for a passport in order to get this so-called uh, free ID in order to vote. So, you know, you have to match uh, the government's interest with the burden placed on the, the people or the class of people who are losing their rights. That's what they did in the Texas uh, abortion case. And I hope that is what will happen if the uh, these photo ID cases reach the Supreme Court, that they'll have this uh, a very similar test judging the, uh, you know, the, the government's interest in taking away these rights versus uh, the burden that it, uh, it presents to those who are losing their rights. And in the case of Texas, some 600,000 already legally registered voters will not be able to vote this November under the Texas law, if it is allowed to stand, if it is not uh, knocked down. And Texas admitted that in its own legal pleadings to the Supreme Court, did it not? Uh, well, they haven't yet. This case has not yet gone. The photo ID, the Texas photo ID case has not yet gone to the Supreme Court. So then to the appeals court. To, to the appeals court. Yeah, they're admitting, although they downplay it. Oh, it won't be that bad. We can give away. We're giving away these IDs after all for free. But they've only given away a couple hundred of them. So they admit that. Out of some 600,000 who don't have uh, uh, the ID that is now needed to vote in uh, in Texas and more than a million who are eligible. So I would say this is a good omen. This abortion decision is actually a good omen for the uh, voting decisions that may come up between here and November, we'll find out. In the meantime, uh, we're going to find out what's going to happen with these uh, trap laws uh, for abortion all over the country. Uh, right now, it only affects uh, Texas, but uh, the U.S. Uh, Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, that was the court that was overturned by the Supreme Court. Uh, they also uh, oversee laws in Mississippi and Louisiana, both of whom have similar uh, uh, laws on the books there. So particularly in Mississippi, uh, the, the trap law threatens to shutter the states only. There's only one remaining uh, abortion clinic in the state of Mississippi that could be shut down if that trap law is allowed to move forward. Now that's looking much more unlikely, and this is a good news, at least for those people in this country who pretend to give a damn about constitutional rights. 
a quick break and we're back with more from the Supreme Court and around the world. We'll see what we have time for. I'm Brad and this is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you reviewing the Supreme Court rulings handed down today on this, the last day of the uh, U.S. Supreme Court's latest session. They go on break for a couple of months and uh, they'll come back probably with uh, still only eight justices, but uh, with the uh, vacancy of Antonin Scalia uh, after his death on February 13 of this year still unfilled because the Republican Congress refuses, refuses to do their constitutional duty and have uh, oversight hearings uh, on uh, President Barack Obama's nominee, Judge Merrick Garland, despite everybody pretty much agreeing that he is uh, perfectly qualified for the job. Um, But anyway, that's where we are. And nonetheless, a lot of these decisions, which uh, some had speculated would come out, uh, you know, ties four to four. And we just have to live with whatever was the uh, the lower court ruling. Uh, Not so today. In fact, you had with the abortion decision, uh, conservative justice uh, Anthony Kennedy coming over to the liberal side to assure uh, assure those rights and to set back the anti-abortion movement in a big way, uh, and also now on gun ownerships, gun ownership rights. Uh, Gun ownership rights can be denied to people who commit reckless acts of domestic violence, according to the Supreme Court on Monday. This was a 6-2 ruling. It was written by Justice Elena Kagan. It was endorsed by conservative as well as liberal justices. The uh, ruling upheld the sentences imposed on two main men uh, who had argued that their uh, misdemeanor convictions for domestic abuse should not trigger a federal control, a federal gun control statute. Justice Clarence Thomas and Justice Sonia Sotomayor. That surprises dissented. me. There's an odd couple for you. Yeah. Um, right wing Clarence Thomas and liberal uh, Sotomayor. They both dissented. In this case, the federal law. Uh, was intended to deny guns to people who were convicted of violent acts against family members based in part on research showing that they are more likely to use guns domestically in the future. Uh, Stephen Voisin had pled guilty to domestic assault in 2004. Five years later, federal authorities found him in possession of a gun after an anonymous tip that he had shot a bald eagle. Oh, boy. Uh, also, in, also a felony. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also, a William Armstrong had pleaded guilty to a similar assault charge in 2008. He was found to own guns two years later. Both men con- contested their convictions under the federal gun statute. They argued that the state law allowed for their convictions uh, uh, based only on recklessness uh, rather than 
only on criminal intent. In other words, whatever the, uh, the, the cases were, whatever these domestic assault cases were, it was recklessness. They were not trying to uh, do something criminal. At least that's the argument. They say that the federal law denying guns to domestic abusers uh, was not intended to apply to merely reckless behavior, but the uh, the justices disagreed. At least six of them did. So uh, six to two, uh, another restriction on the right to own guns. And that is uh, something that uh, Second Amendment absolutists should pay attention to. Yes, there are rights uh, that can be restricted once again, as we talked about before the break, um, you know, judging, balancing, essentially balancing the government's interest in keeping people safe versus the undue burden uh, that is uh, on those who are restricted when these uh, when these rights are restricted. So uh, a, a good a positive ruling for progressives on abortion, a positive ruling for progressive on progressives on guns and also a positive decision here concerning the minimum wage. And this wasn't a, a decision so much as the Supreme Court deciding to decline to review a lower court's decision that upheld a ruling that requires home health care workers to be paid overtime. The nation's second most popular, uh, popular, powerful court uh, had handed a victory to the Obama administration last year when it upheld this particular rule that was put in place uh, by the Department of Labor. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals had said that uh, the measure had fallen within the powers of the Fair Labor Standard Act. The court's decision not to review the case leaves the initial ruling at the uh, from the D.C. Circuit Court in place. It was basically a new definition uh, of, uh, of the words domestic service employment and companionship services. The new definition stated that the third party employers must pay overtime if a domestic service employee is hired to provide companionship services to elderly and disabled individuals who are unable to care to care for themselves. Previously, the third party employers had been exempt from those rules, did not have to pay uh, overtime and uh, and minimum wage. And in this case, the Supreme Court said, nope, we're going to go with the lower court. That's good with us. They didn't hear that case, so that law will stand. So that's good news. And now here's some news that is either good or bad. I'm not sure. Take your pick. A unanimous. This was a unanimous decision. And this court is never unanimous about anything. A unanimous Supreme Court decision has now overturned the corruption conviction of former Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell. This is a ruling that makes it harder to prosecute elected officials accused of bribery. The justices ruled on Monday in favor of the uh, Republican governor, the now former Republican governor of Virginia. They ruled in his favor. He had been found guilty in 2014 of accepting more than $165,000 in gifts and loans from a wealthy businessman in exchange for promoting a dietary supplement. Uh, gifts, uh, cash gifts, uh, car rides in cars, wa Rolex watch, all kinds of stuff, a shopping trip for the several shopping trips, I believe, for the governor's wife. But the former governor says he never took any official action to benefit this company. Star Scientific uh, Inc. is the company. The CEO is Johnny Williams, who gave him $165,000 in gifts and loans. Uh, that he never did any, took any official action on behalf of this guy or pressured other public officials to do so. 
McDonnell says he simply performed routine courtesies for uh, Johnny Williams, like setting up meetings and hosting events. Prosecutors said McDonald accepted these personal benefits with the understanding that he would try to take official action to help Williams. But this has been struck down by the Supreme Court. Uh, so a gift uh, to uh, to Republican Bob McDonald get many gifts. And he does not deny that he took these gifts, that he took hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash and gifts for his own personal benefit. But because he said he gave nothing in return, he's not guilty. And the Supreme Court apparently apparently now uh, believes it, uh, agrees unanimously. In the meantime, former Democratic Governor Don Siegelman, the Democratic governor of Alabama, he remains in his sixth year now of federal imprisonment. For a case in which he did not receive a single dime of personal enrichment, money was not given to him at all in that case, but to a campaign that he supported for a state lottery to raise money to pay for school tuition for disadvantaged kids. And in return, what did that uh, businessman who, who gave that money to that campaign, what did he get? Uh, pretty much nothing. In return, he appointed that guy, that businessman who gave the money uh, to uh, to a state health board commission. Unpaid. That It was unpaid. The businessman uh, in this case, guy by the name of Richard Scrooge, said he did not even want to sit on that board. He had already sat on that board under three previous governors, both Republican and Democratic. And yet somehow. Alabama's Democratic governor, Don Siegelman, is still in jail for six years for that while Bob McDonald goes off scot-free. And meanwhile, in Alabama, the Republicans who led to the who, who carried out that witch hunt to toss out the popular Democratic governor at the time. Um, they're all now facing problems of their own. I mean, all of them. The uh, all three branches of government, judicial, legislative uh, and executive. OK, the for, before we even get there, the judge who sentenced Don Siegelman, we've talked about it many times on the show, U.S. District Judge Mark Fuller. He had to resign uh, last year after he was arrested, beating his wife, beating his wife in an Atlanta hotel room. So that was the judge who sentenced uh, uh, Don Siegelman, the federal judge. Uh, and meanwhile, every branch of government in Alabama, the heads of every branch are now being they're all currently led by Republicans. They are all under fire. The Republican governor of Alabama, Robert Bentley, he was discovered to have been having an affair. He's now facing possible impeachment for putting his girlfriend on the state payroll, essentially. That's the executive branch, the judicial branch, the chief justice of the uh, Alabama State Supreme Court, Judge Roy Moore. He is now suspended. He's facing char uh, ethics charges before the Alabama Court of the Judiciary, uh, alleging violation of judicial ethics. After instructing county clerks, they did not have to follow the U.S. Supreme Court ruling last year, about exactly one year ago uh, this month, by the way, uh, that they did not have to follow the U.S. Supreme Court ruling on marriage equality. So that's the judicial branch. And the Speaker of the Alabama House of Representatives, Michael Hubbard, uh, was convicted just over two weeks ago on 12 felony ethics charges related to soliciting benefits from lobbyists and voting in favor of a measure that helped a company for which he consulted. 
So he now faces the possibility of decades in prison, though he says he plans to appeal. Hubbard was part of the GOP takeover of the state government by Republicans in 2010. Uh, after Siegelman was railroaded out of his office and 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 out of his reelection, for which, by the way, he was announced originally to be the winner. And the results of that election mysteriously flipped in the middle of the night after a Republican county clerk claims to have found a computer tabulation error that ended up reversing the results. So he was kept from winning uh, 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 reelection uh, as governor. Uh, he was uh, tossed in jail for something far less than the uh, Republican governor of the state of Virginia uh, has now been completely cleared of. And so with all of that going on, former Democratic Alabama, or Go- Go- Alabama governor Don Siegelman, unlike the rest of those Republican rogues, including Bob McDonnell, who will now get apparently off scot-free thanks to today's unanimous Supreme Court decision, Only the Democratic governor continues his years-long sentence, and uh, frankly, he needs to be pardoned, frankly, immediately by President Obama, who has utterly failed in this case. Will McDonald's, uh, will the verdict in the McDonald case have any effect whatsoever on Siegelman? That remains to be seen. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more broadcast on a very busy news day, as they say in the business. I'm Brad. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to help keep us going. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Well, I feel fine, but uh, investors and people in Europe may not uh, feel quite as fine. The Dow on Monday closed closed down 870 points that's wow. after yeah that's gonna leave a mark you think that's after uh, it had closed down uh, more than 600 points on friday uh all of this uh, related to uh concerns following the big uh, eu ref- referendum the big brexit vote which a lot of people are uh regretting the next day they call this uh bregret at this point and uh, it's just unclear where this goes from here. What's going to happen? Uh, there is a, a coup. It's not just on the conservative side where uh, Prime Minister David Cameron has announced he, his resignation, that he'll uh, stay on until, uh, I think, for another couple of m- months. But then he's going. So it's not just on the, uh, on the Tory side, the conservative side. It's also on the liberal side, the Labor Party. They're now having infighting. A lot of resignations uh, in the Labor Party, people angry at uh, the leader of the uh, the Labor Party, Jeremy Corbyn, that he didn't make clear enough uh, his interest in remaining in the European Union. Uh, so this is causing an earthquake on all sides of this issue at the moment. It's incredibly unsettled. 
In the meantime, with the Labour and Conservative parties gripped by internal wrangling, according to the Daily Beast, Scotland's First Minister, Nicola, Nicola Sturgeon, seized the moment on Sunday to claim that Scotland... Scotland may try to prevent the result of the European referendum from being implemented. Apparently, a House of Lords study into Britain's treaty obligations with the European Union revealed a little noticed provision that said that the Scottish government would be required to approve Britain's accession from the Union uh, despite the result of the referendum. The referendum legislation contained no legally binding provision it was just a, 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 a sense of the nation referendum, essentially. Yeah, non-binding. Leaving Britain's various provincial and national assemblies and parliaments to carry out the will of the people in any way that they deem appropriate. The electorate in Scotland voted decisively to stay in the union, but it was not enough to overcome the referendum. Sturgeon told the BBC Scotland on Sunday morning that she would consider asking the Scottish Parliament to block Brexit. Uh, in the meantime, Prime Minister David Cameron has said, uh, had said that he would invoke Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, which is what's required to actually begin the divorce with Europe. He was going to do that the very next day after the referendum. That's what he had said previously. That would establish a timetable for formally breaking up with the EU. Uh, but in fact, he says... Uh, he's not going to do it immediately. After all, he says that uh, it would be appropriate for uh, his predecessors now that he has uh, resigned or is resigning. It would be appropriate for his predecessors to be the ones to invoke Article 50. Mr. Speaker, the British people have voted to leave the European Union. It was not the result I wanted, nor the outcome that I believe is best for the country I love. But there can be no doubt about the result. Of course, I don't take back what I said about the risks. It is going to be difficult. We've already seen that there are going to be adjustments within our economy, complex constitutional issues, and challenging new negotiation to undertake with Europe. But I am clear, and the Cabinet agreed this morning, that the decision must be accepted and the process of implementing the decision in the best possible way must now begin. Yeah. We've discussed the need to prepare for the negotiations and in particular the fact that the British Government will not be triggering Article 50 at this stage. Before we do that, we need to determine the kind of relationship we want with the EU. And that is rightly something for the next Prime Minister and their Cabinet to decide. Now, the next prime minister and their cabinet, uh, who could be a guy by the name of Boris Johnson, he's London's former mayor. He's the guy, I'm sure you've seen pictures of him. He has a Donald Trump haircut. He's not unlike Donald Trump, I, uh, I, I guess, in many different ways. He's currently the favorite to succeed Cameron. But he has said, well, you know, there's no need to trigger Article 50 right away. Other Brexiters, Brexiteers, as they call them, uh, from within Cameron's Conservative Party have simply avoided the question entirely. Nobody wants responsibility for this. Cameron doesn't want responsibility. He's giving it to the folks who are going to uh, come after him. We'll see if the folks who are going to come after him are really going to move forward, forward with this. They actually don't have to, I guess, legally. Uh, in the meantime, the voters are issuing uh, uh, signs of regret themselves. 
Uh, electoral services workers reported calls from people asking if they could change their decision after Friday's uh, no, results please. became clear. While some publicly admitted they intended to use it as a protest vote, they had no idea this would happen, that it would actually go through. Mandy Suthi, a student who voted to leave, told ITV News she would uh, tick the remain box if she had a second chance at it and said her parents and siblings also regretted their choice. She said, I would go back to the polling station and vote to stay simply because this morning the reality is kicking in. I wish we had the opportunity to vote again, she added, saying she was very disappointed. She was disappointed that she won. Uh, this is, uh, uh, let's see, uh, Kemby Gibbons, a lifeguard from Bury St. Edmunds in Suffolk, also said that she had regrets about her decision after Mr. Uh, Farage. This was the guy we played him. Uh, he was the head of the U.K.'s independent party, Nigel Farage. Uh, she had regrets after Farage admitted that he couldn't guarantee that all of the money that they were going to save was going to go to the National Health Service as they had been promising during the campaign. Now that they've won, well, maybe all that money, 350 million pounds a week, that's about, uh, well, about $700 million a week. Uh, it couldn't guarantee that would go to NHS after all. Uh, Kemby Gibbon said, we've left the, U the EU. David Cameron's resigned. We're left with Boris. And Nigel has just basically given away that the NHS claim was a lie. I personally voted leave believing these lies, and I regret it more than anything. I feel genu genuinely robbed of my vote. A woman calling into a, a radio show echoed the sentiment, saying she felt conned by the claim and felt a bit sick. So they're all trying to figure out how to get out of this mess. In the meantime, one of the nice things that uh, happened in this referendum, at least, which was uh, cast on hand-marked paper ballots and hand-counted publicly, is there has not been uh, questions about the results. The results have been clear, except apparently there are some questions. Uh, expats uh, say they were denied. You know, Desi, I've talked many times when it comes to uh, elections, uh, when at least it comes to voter fraud, uh, absentee ballots, vote by mail ballots. Terrible way to do it. If you don't have to do it, don't do it. And now we see again one of those reasons. In this case, uh, British expats around the world are complaining that they have been disenfranchised. Uh, because their absentee ballots, their postal votes failed to arrive or they arrived too late to be sent back. Some of them say they received them just before the referendum was carried out, not in time to get their ballots back to uh, back to the UK in time to be counted. So uh, it's still unknown how many uh, expats did not receive their uh, vote by mail ballot in time. That's something we'll be uh, keeping our eyes on. That's another way that a lot of these uh, folks in Great Britain are calling for a second referendum. Let's do it. Let's do it again. Let's have a do-over referendum. A, uh, a petition has now gathered at least two and a half million signatures in Great Britain to, uh, to hold a second EU referendum. That seems unlikely, but it could happen. Uh, I wonder if that has any lessons for the United States. Well... 
We'll see. You mean people voting for something as a protest vote and waking up in the morning to find out or not voting at all because they didn't think it would matter and then waking up in the morning to find out uh, their nightmare President Donald Trump has arrived? Perhaps. Is that what you're referring to? Yes. Yes. And we will have more on that on tomorrow's thrilling broadcast as we've got a lot of new poll numbers that are in that I don't have time to get to. But we will do it next time. Until then, my thanks to my producer, uh, Desi Doyen, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast or any other, download it at bradblog.com or over via iTunes and spread the good word if you don't mind while you're at it. Uh, you can find me and follow me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. It's the end of the world. It's the end.